0: welcome to the White Hatter Parenting in an Online World podcast. On this podcast, we're going to be taking a more holistic approach to online safety in an enlightening and not frightening way, based upon facts and not fear. We will provide parents, caregivers, and educators with real-world examples, experiences, and evidence-based research that will help to keep our kids safe emotionally, psychologically, physically, and even socially when they're navigating today's online world. Let's get after it, shall we? Well, welcome everyone, Darren with the White Hatter team, and I'm excited to be your host once again. And on this episode, we are going to be talking about online parenting strategies. Now, this episode is not about telling you how to parent your child because you're the parent, not us. In this podcast episode, it's all about bringing to your attention what we have seen to be best practices when it comes to parenting in the on life world. For the past 10 years, we have been sharing that teens, unlike parents and caregivers, do not see a difference between the online and offline world. It's just one world to them. This is why we have adopted the phrase on life world, which was coined by Professor Luciano Floridi. We believe the phrase on life world better describes the world that we and our kids live in today. When it comes to the on life world, we have identified three types of parenting strategies that we think parents should know about. The first is what we call closed range parenting. What is closed range parenting? we find that close-range parenting strategies are primarily based upon lack of trust, juvenile, and fear surrounding their child's use of technology and the internet. This strategy of parenting is so concerned about the negative emotional, psychological, physical, and social effects that technology and the internet may have on a child, that a parent or caregiver will prohibit its use. If a child is allowed access to technology and the internet, the parent will often helicopter or bubble wrap a child in suffocating parental overwatch. In our opinion, this strategy does very little to allow a child to develop agency, age-appropriate critical thinking skills, and digital literacy, which are three important attributes that are needed in today's on-life world. The second type of parenting that we recognize is what we like to call open-range parenting. What is open-range parenting? We find that open-range parenting, sometimes known as free-range parenting, is based upon a lack of understanding, and at times even willful blindness, of both the positive and negative consequences of unsupervised technology use and the internet. Sometimes the strategy of parenting is predicated on the belief that kids should be allowed to go online without any kind of parental overwatch or boundaries. Often technology and the internet in this category are used as a digital pacifier rather than the unmediated and very powerful two-way communication tool that it is. This parenting strategy is based upon the belief that bad stuff will never happen to my child and often abdicates online parental responsibilities to others such as social media vendors, teachers, or on the over-dependence on the use of parental monitoring software and hardware uh, controls, believing it will keep our kids safe. And the third type of parenting that we found and that we've identified is what we call mediated-range parenting. What is mediated-range parenting? We find that mediated-range parenting has struck a balance between closed-range and open-range parenting. At its foundation, mediated-range parenting has age-based incremental trust is evidence-based focused, and does not allow an anecdotal or an emotional approach to on-life parenting based upon fear. This range of parenting often utilizes a synthesized five-pillar approach. Number one, it provides youth agency in what they're doing online. Number two, it provides parental modeling on the appropriate use of technology. Number three, it provides parental participation in the child's on-life world. Number four, it provides parental communication specific to what is happening in their child's online world. And number five, it provides ongoing overt rather than covert parental overwatch through the use of personal spot checks or the use of software and hardware monitoring where reasonable and appropriate to do so of what is happening in their child's life online. Parent tip. It should be noted that we believe that parental overwatch, through filtering and monitoring software, should be decreased and even eliminated as a child demonstrates responsibility, critical thinking, and good digital literacy and maturity over time. Recently, Dr. Sonia Livingstone, a social scientist who studies youth online behaviors and who we highly respect, stated, and I quote, while digital literacy does not protect young people from encountering risks online. It helps protect themselves from harmful outcomes by supporting the development of effective coping strategies, end quote. Dr. Livingston further stated, and I quote, given that young people will inevitably use digital technologies and be exposed to negative online experiences, it is vital to find ways to protect them that don't unduly limit their access or undermine the positive outcomes of internet use, end quote. Now, we have found that a mediated-range parenting approach has several advantages. That include, number one, it's based upon incremental trust that is age-appropriate. Number two, it creates parental participation in communication, which studies have shown decrease the likelihood of a youth engaging in on-life less-than-desirable behavior. Three, it teaches youth critical thinking, which is a needed skill in today's online world. Number four, it creates an environment where learning about digital literacy is a family responsibility. Number five, it mentors youth youth to act independently and creates agency over their use of technology and the internet, especially when parents are not around, which is a needed to develop effective coping strategies as they mature. And number six, it's what we like to call a Goldilocks approach to technology. That being not too much, not too little, in the middle is just right. Now, the only negatives that we could identify with mediated range parenting, it takes time and effort when compared to other, the other two strategies. However, our question on this specific negative is, isn't the most precious thing in the world? Are kids worth that time and effort? Remember, when it comes to the online world, be your child's best parent and not their best friend. There is a difference. We can be parently while being friendly at the same time. The two can definitely coexist. And we believe that mediated-range parenting skills strike that balance. Now, there are five steps to digital literacy and internet safety that we promote to parents and caregivers, which are, number one, parental supervision, number two, the parental role modeling of technology, Number three is parental communication and participation when it comes to their child's use of technology. Number four is implementing family tech boundaries. And number five is the use of software and hardware overwatch where appropriate and reasonable to do so. Now let's look at each one of these in detail. And the first step is parental supervision. Remember, the internet is not a babysitting tool like the TV was when we were growing up. Unlike TVs of the past, the internet is two-way interactive although smart TVs today also offer two-way communication. It's about helping our kids to find that balance and to concentrate on becoming producers rather than just consumers of their media. Once again, a Goldilocks approach. The second step is parental role modeling. What parents do with their technology will have a direct impact on what their child does with their technology. Parents who overuse their own devices may see their teens mirroring that behavior, something we'll talk about a little bit later. The third step is parental communication and participation. It is important that youth understand that our family values apply to the entire on-life world. They don't change to something else when they are online. Help your child do homework and find research material online. Play some online games with them and join the social networks that your kids are on. Text your kids instead of calling them. Learn by doing and get your child to teach you about the internet. Chances are they know more than you already. Brandon was my digital Yoda and I was Brandon's digital Padawan. To this day Brandon is still my digital Yoda and I'm his digital student. Also, have a digital dinner once a week with a, as a family. This doesn't mean family members bring their cell phones to the dinner table. You know, as parents, we should never allow cell phones to be present while eating as a family. Dinner is the best time for families to bond and we don't want technology to distract from that bonding. Instead, a digital dinner is where the family talks about everything digital that is happening in your child's life. You will be amazed at what you learn. In fact, in a 2014 study that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association of Pediatrics, the researchers found, and I quote, More frequent family dinners related to fewer emotional and behavioral problems, greater emotional well-being, more trusting and helpful behaviors towards others, and higher life satisfaction, end quote. An excellent 2022 study by researchers from the University of Wisconsin Madison and the University of California that supports our five steps to internet safety on how parents can have a significant role in keeping our kids safer in their on life world found, and I quote, number one, the majority of teens have healthy relationships with technology. Number two, those youth who are at high risk offline are often at greatest risk online. Number three, parents who overuse their own devices may see their teens mirroring that behavior. Number four, setting boundaries early as soon as their kids interact with digital technology is important. And number five, parental role modeling with technology combined with parental participation, parental communication, and reasonable parental overwatch in their child's online world is key to keeping them safer, end quote. Parenting tip. If you have a challenge with knowing how to get a conversation going with your kids about technology, social media, or the apps they are using, check out the Family Dinner Project online. They have a lot of great tips and ideas, and a link to this site is in the episode description. Parents and caregivers, get to know the apps that your kids are downloading and using. You might be surprised at how some apps may not reflect your family's values and ethics. If you find an app on their device that you have never seen before, ask your child what it is and what it does. If your child doesn't want to tell you, Google it. Google will let you know what it does. Another great online resource to find information on the apps your kids are using head over to Common Sense Media, which is just a great resource to learn about the who, what, where, when, why, and how of apps, social media platforms, and even online gaming platforms. If you find an app that is congruent with your family values and ethics on your child's device, delete it. Are your kids going to be mad? Probably. Oh, well, that's what makes us parents. And sometimes we parents have to say and do things our kids are not going to like. Remember, be your child's best parent and not their best friend. There is a difference. As your child reaches young adulthood, now you can become their friend as well. In 2019, the University of Malibu, Stony Brook University, and Boise State University conducted a study where they found that family interaction surrounding the use of technology had significant benefits to keeping our kids safer in this on-life world. Specific to parenting involvement, Dr. Justin Patchen with the Cyber Bullying Research Center stated in an article, and I quote, Children who are strongly attached to their parents will seek them out in times of strife or stress. The person with whom they are bonded will be their safe haven, their protector. Having this safety net in place allows children to explore beyond their comfort zone early in life, but also provides older children, especially adolescents, a place to turn when they confront adversity. A solid emotional connection is also associated with less engagement and high-risk behaviors, fewer mental health problems, and enhanced social skills and coping strategies. The key in all of this, of course, is the positive emotional relationship with parents." Now, how many of you have heard this question? Mom, Dad, can I download this app or social network? Once a youth has technology, especially mobile technology, they will want to download apps, social networking platforms, and gaming platforms. Rather than just giving them free reign to do so, we believe that a parent should first task their child with homework to research what they would like to download and then provide the parent with an essay, a verbal report, or even a PowerPoint presentation as to the why they should be given permission. This is something that our online safety colleague Jocelyn Brewer at at Digital Nutrition in Australia calls the Due Diligence Report. This Due Diligence Report contains 10 questions that must be answered by youth before permission from a parent is given to download an app. Those questions include, number one, what's the age requirement? Do you meet it? Number two, what are the terms of service? How do they store and or share your data? Number three, what's the content? What does it do? What is the function of the app or the purpose of the game? Number four, how will it benefit you? Why do you need it? Number five, who created it and when did they create it? Number six, how much does it cost? Are the founders making money out of it? How is it monetized? How do they make their money out of it? And how much do they make each year? Number seven, what are people saying about it? Are there any controversies relating to it? Number eight, what are the privacy levels? Is there an anonymous feature? Number nine, if you were a parent, would you let your child have access to it? And number 10, any other information or final thoughts on the app? In the book Digital for Good Raising Kids to Thrive in an Online World joseph south chief learning officer at the international society of technology in education also promotes a similar checklist joseph believes that you should pitch their maturity to download an app social network or an online gaming platform by answering nine questions his nine questions include number 1 how can this app help me and harm me number 2 what does the app connect me to other people Number three, can I connect with strangers or can they connect with me? Number four, what kind of interactions does this app allow? Number five, how does the app make money? Number six, how does the app keep me engaged? Number seven, how does the app handle the issue of privacy? Number eight, does the app make sense for me based upon my age, maturity, ability to regulate my use and my understanding of digital permanence? And number nine, what do experts in medicine, psychology, uh, psychology, online safety say about the app? Now, we believe that a hybrid approach using both Jocelyn's and Joseph's criteria should be adopted by all families before your child is allowed to download an app, social network, or an online gaming platform. This homework, presentation, essay, or pitch which are all important skills for youth to learn as they get older, will provide both parents and youth with a deeper understanding of the safety, security, and privacy of the app, social network, or gaming platform. We can also guarantee that this process will spawn a deeper, meaningful discussions about the use of technology as a family. We actually believe that the above noted approach to allowing your child to download an app is also very important, especially given a 2022 report by the Canadian Centre for Child Protection called Reviewing the Enforcement of App Ratings in Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Some key findings in this report, and I quote, number one, there is inconsistent enforcement of age ratings. An example, in Apple's App Store, 13-year-olds could download 17-plus apps by simply clicking a pop-up box confirming that they are 17, even though Apple knows the user is 13 based upon the age entered in the account. Number two, when children and youth search for apps, some promoted or suggested apps that were visible were rated higher than the age associated with the account. A really good example, searching for Yubu in Google Play as an 11-year-old brought up the recommended, recommended app Three ThreeFun, Threesomes, Couples, Dating, and Chatos, which are all 18-plus live video chat apps. Number three, there are age-rating inconsistencies across Apple, Google, and Apps Terms of Service. Example, YouTube is rated 17-plus on Apple, 13-plus on Google Play, and 13-plus in the YouTube Terms of Service. Number four, chat roulette style apps were available for download in Google Play and Apple's App Store despite Apple making them subject to removal from their store in 2010. Examples included searching for chat roulette in Apple's App Stores as an 11 and 13 year old returned numerous apps including chat for strangers, video chat, juice live, adult video chat, and show me random video chat. Number five, both mobile app stores locked or lacked transparency on how they established app age ratings and have inconsistencies in content descriptions. Now, the fourth essential element is family technology boundaries. It is important to have clear guidance on the use of technology both inside and outside of the home, including setting time limits to the use of the internet and for how long. This is where the White Hatter Family Collective Agreement can help. This collective agreement outlines clear responsibilities for both the child and the parent. The agreement also clearly outlines consequences if the agreement is breached. We recommend that you print this agreement, read it, sign it together with your child, and post it on your kitchen fridge so it is seen every day to help compound its important messages. Now, the fifth essential element when it comes to parenting online is hardware and software solutions. Remember, where reasonable and appropriate to do so, filtering and monitoring software and hardware could be a good adjunct to parental participation and communication, but never as a replacement. This is something that we speak to or will be speaking to in an upcoming podcast. Remember, there is no hardware or software on the market that can protect your child 100% of the time. Parenting tip. Be a good digital role model. Remember, if you're texting or driving, guess what your kids will do when they're old enough to drive? If you bring your phone to the dinner table, guess what your kids will do with their cell phones? If you take your phone into your bedroom at night, guess what your kids will want to do with their cell phones? Now, the exception if your cell phone is the primary phone in the home to use in an emergency, then it's reasonable to have in your room. If you take your phone into the bathroom, guess what your kids will do with their cell phones? If you're texting your kids during class, guess what your kids will do with their cell phones during class? Teachers have asked us to please ask parents to stop texting their kids during school hours as it's extremely disruptive to the classroom's learning environment. Wait for the lunchtime break to communicate with your child. If it's an emergency, then just call the school. If you're texting while your child is attempting to have a face-to-face conversation with you, guess what your child will do when you're attempting to have a face-to-face with them. When we asked 179 teens how many of them experienced a situation where parents are more interested in engaging with their phone than talking with them, 69% reported yes and 31% stated no. of children said they thought their parents spent too much time on their phones, with 36% 36 saying their parents get distracted by their phones right in the middle of a conversation with them, which makes them feel unimportant, according to an AVG study of 6,000 students between the ages of 8 to 13 years of age. Now remember, we are digital role models for our kids. Digitally distracted parents often cultivate digitally distracted preteens and teens. What parents and caregivers do with our phones and technology absolutely matters. Now, let's talk about sharenting versus over The launch of Facebook in 2004 was the true catalyst in the creation of what is often called the tagged generation. For readers who are unaware, once you use a tag or a hashtag on a picture with a your child's name or anybody else's name, that picture now becomes very searchable. Although tagging pictures is convenient for searchability, it also creates unforeseen vulnerabilities that parents may not have considered. Like it or not, parents have become the genesis of creating digital dossiers of their children that are becoming very searchable. It is believed that the term Sharenting was coined in 2013 article by the Wall Street Journal, but for the purposes of this podcast episode, our definition of Sharenting is, and I quote, the parental overuse of technology and social media to knowingly and sometimes unknowingly share content from or about a child. End quote. We believe that not all sharenting is bad. As Stacy, Stacey Steinberg stated in her great 2020 book, Growing Up Shared, you can find which you can find a link to in the podcast description, and I quote, Sharenting is often a positive way to connect and support one another during parenthood to improve our lives, our child's lives, and the lives of others in our community, end quote. The challenge is not sharenting, it's over-sharenting. Pictures uh, and postings of your child may be cute and funny to you today, but these same postings could place your child at risk of embarrassment, discrimination, or identity theft later in life. In a recent study from England, it was estimated that 92% of two-year-olds have an online presence that is searchable online, and the same study found that the, by the time your child reaches the age of five, they have approximately 1,500 images that have been posted by parents. Now, we decided to ask teens who follow us on our social media the following question, quote, are you comfortable with your parents posting personal information about you on their social media, end quote. Now 399 teens responded and 66% stated no and 34% stated yes to that question. Now of interest, we also asked parents the following question and I quote, "Are you comfortable with your kids posting pictures or personal information of you on the on their social media?" end quote. 287 parents responded and 87% stated no and 13% stated yes. Parenting tip: What's good for the goose should be good for the gander when it comes to sharing information about each other online. How would you feel if your parents took their photo album of all your baby pictures to your workplace and shared them with everyone you knew and didn't know? In today's on-life world, our kids need a private space to play, make mistakes, and get involved in a little bit of mischief without it coming back to haunt them as they get older. Here at the White Adder, we have seen oversharing lead to cyberbullying, Sexy more pictures on pedophile sites and identity theft. These are things that our parents could not share with us because we are the first generation of parents and caregivers who are now seeing the outcomes of over Think of this before you post. An interesting case study. In August 2020, the online news platform intelligence.com wrote an article about a mother who located a picture that she had posted of her young child online, which was copied and pasted into a pedophilia website where it had been altered, known as morphed, so that the child appeared to be wearing heavy makeup. Now, let's talk about something that has been called kinfluencers, which is a new phenomenon when it comes to oversharing. When we think about online exploitation of youth, we immediately think about sexual exploitation. And yes, this is an extremely important form of exploitation that parents need to be aware of and understand. In fact, we dedicated an earlier podcast episode to this very topic. However, we also think it is important that parents understand another form of child exploitation that is now taking place online, using youth as influence marketers, something known as kinfluencers. Unfortunately, parents can sometimes be the catalyst of this type of corporate exploitation without truly understanding the actual harm it can cause youth. The large sums of money that come with Kinfluencers can sometimes provide a strong incentive to parents and caregivers to engage their child in this form of corporate exploitation, thus elevating their child's vulnerability. So when it comes to sharenting, what do we recommend? Well, number one, remember, you've likely granted the social media platform you're using the non-exclusive rights to your content via their terms of service that you agreed to, and this could include any pictures and any videos that you've posted. As parents and caregivers, do not use the internet and social media to affirm your role as a parent. Number three, ask yourself, what would your child think about your posting when they get older? Be reflective about what you're posting online. When old enough to understand what consent is, ask for your child's permission first before you post any pictures or any personal information about them online. Number five, review old posts once a year and delete content that given hindsight should not have been posted. Number six, model good posting behavior. We want our children to know that before they post a picture or personal information about anyone, they should ask for digital consent first. Number seven, avoid sharing content that provides the location of where your child lives or goes to school. Number eight, avoid posts that show your child in any state of undress. And number nine, talk to grandparents given that far too often they will share too much information about their grandchildren on their social media platforms. As Dr. Alexandra Hamlet stated, a child psychologist, and I quote, There is a difference between being proud of your kids and displaying that on your refrigerator compared to sharing it on social media without consent or discussing it with them in advance." In our opinion, a slow, balanced, mediated, and scaffolded incremental approach to technology that is age appropriate, where parents and caregivers are fully and collaboratively engaged through participation, communication, and overwatch in their child's online journey, is the magic sauce that will encourage positive digital literacy. It's like learning any other new skill. Incremental chunks that build upon each other and are collaboratively mentored by parents will provide youth with the agency they are looking for and needed in today's online world. It has been our experience that too many parents and caregivers just throw youth into the deep end of the online pool without the above-mentioned incremental approach to learning. This often ends with less than a desirable emotional, psychological, physical, and social outcomes in our youth, which we really shouldn't surprise us. When this happens, we parents and caregivers are too quick to point our fingers and place blame on social media vendors and technology when in fact we are the ones giving our kids the digital keys to the unmediated digital highway without any kind of driver training to do so in a safe, secure and private way. When we share our concerns with our kids about their online world, we should do so in a way that is age-appropriate, incremental, ties into where they are today, is relevant to their life, and appeals to their intelligence and experience. This will help them make good online decisions. As we always say in all our parent and caregiver programs, be your child's best parent and not their best friend when it comes to their online world. There is a difference. However, to do this, parents and caregivers need to educate themselves as well. And this is what this podcast was all about. Remember parents, you are not alone on this digital journey we are here to help. Don't forget to check out our website at www.thewhitehatter.ca and our White Hatter Facebook page, where there's just a ton of free content to help parents and caregivers parent in today's online world. As well, on our website, we outline all the programs that we offer to schools, families, youth groups, and even businesses when it comes to social media safety and digital literacy. Stay strong, be that mentor and digital sheepdog, And from the White Hatter team, thank you for listening. And until our next podcast, have a great week, everybody. Bye now.